From BU Cares Research Center, this is Dr. Michelle Lamb and Dr. Jacqueline Kirk, and you're listening to Leaning In and Speaking Out, the Research Connection podcast. It's a podcast about the world we live in and how education can make a difference. These are conversations about curiosity and how researchers and educators are working in new ways. Each month on the show, we bring together a community member and a researcher to discuss a topic that's important to them. So today on the show, uh, we are sharing with you panel presentation that we did on September 17th of this year, 2021, at the New Normal Professional Development for teachers and I think pre-service teachers that was put on by Tech Manitoba. So it's us and a few research partners. In addition to Jackie and myself, uh, we were joined by Matteo DeMiro. He is a new professor here in the Faculty of Education and also Stephanie Spence, who was a research assistant on the project that we were describing in the conference. And also involved in the research professor who was, or an associate professor who was in the faculty with us, Mike Nada was the lead researcher on the project. And from Rural Development Institute, uh, Wayne Kelly also worked with us on the project. So the name of our presentation was Digital Realities in Rural and Northern Manitoba Schools. And uh, I hope you enjoy hearing more about that conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome again. Um, We hope you had a great time connecting with one another. Um, one of the goals of this conference is for, for you pre-service teachers to make connections with other pre-service teachers and, uh, and other professionals who are working in really cool and innovative projects. Uh, up next, I'd like to welcome the authors and researchers of the Digital Realities in Rural and Northern Manitoba Schools report and its implication on uh, the post-COVID classroom. Brandon Brandon University, BU Cares, uh, they are from the Center for Aboriginal and Rural Education Studies, started this research project right at the beginning of the pandemic before even knowing the challenges and changes the pandemic will bring. They'll be taking a look at their first final report, um, sorry, at their final report, diving into strengths and weaknesses to work through the solutions we need moving forward. We, uh, you will find uh, a link to the full report in the chat. Please feel free to take a look at it. It's really good, um, very insightful. And we are very thrilled to welcome Dr. Michelle Lamb, Dr. Jackie Kirk, Matteo de Munro, and Stephanie Spence. Okay, so I'll start by introducing myself and then I'll ask for the other panelists to introduce themselves. My name is Jackie Kirk. Um, I am an associate professor and the chair of the Department of Leadership and Educational Administration at Brandon University. Um, I started my career working in um, a really small school in rural Saskatchewan. Uh, I think there were 81 students in K-12 and I taught kindergarten grade one and grade two. And I ended the teaching part of my career in a really small school in rural Saskatchewan, where we had about 120 students in 7 to 12. 
and I was the principal. And then I moved to the division office where I became one of three um, technology consultants. And uh, the other part of my job, I worked with principals. And then I went back and did my PhD. And now I'm at Brandon University. And so this project and some of my other research gives me a chance to get back in touch with the technology side of my work again. And right now, I do lots of work with pre-service teachers. And I'm really excited to be here this morning and talk to some of the pre-service teachers about some of the research that we're doing in technology. So welcome, and um, we'll go on to the next person. I can go since we're all muted. Um, my name is Michelle Lamb, and what a great morning so far. Thanks, everyone, for being here. I wanted to actually begin with a land acknowledgement just because we're joining um, from Brandon. You heard a, a land acknowledgement this morning already, um, and I think quite a few of you might also be joining from Brandon, so I thought I would begin that way. Um, and, and many of us are from Brandon University, uh, which is located on Treaty 2. We also have some campus on in Winnipeg, which is Treaty 1, but I'll just uh, share where we're located right here is Treaty 2 territory. This is traditional shared land between the Dakota and Ojibwe peoples. And um, the, the Turtle Mountains and Brandon area was and is uh, also home to the Métis peoples. So we want to begin by acknowledging that we respect the land and the history and the peoples of this area. And I'll, I'll introduce myself as well. Um, as I said, my name is Michelle Lamb. I'm the director here at BU CARES, and I'm also a faculty member in the Department of Curriculum and Pedagogy here at BU. And um, I'm, I'm really excited about this report and about this whole project. I think it's absolutely critical to look at the kinds of education that children in rural areas are receiving when it comes to tech equity and whether or not they are able to even get onto the internet. And so um, I, I really like what we have in this report and I'm looking forward to sharing, sharing with you. Thanks. I'm Stephanie Spence and I'm a student at Brandon University and I've also been working um, with BU Cares for the last year. Um, this project was super out of my comfort zone. I don't know a whole bunch about tech, but it's been really interesting getting to learn alongside um, these people. And yeah, I've learned so much and it's really become evident how important tech equity is. So thank you. Okay, and uh, I'm Matteo DiMiro. Um, I started teaching in 2011 in the school division and um, I've worked in the various capacities as teacher, teaching math, computer science, um, and then my last year there was um, as the divisional ed tech. Uh, I've switched uh, jobs now. I'm an assistant prof at Brandon University, and I'm completing a doctorate degree um, at U of R. And uh, I joined this project uh, first as a participant and then uh, halfway through as um, one of the researchers. So, uh, yeah, we got a lot to cover today, lots of interesting findings, and I'm looking forward to it. And uh, thanks to everyone. <laughs> Oh yeah, so um, uh, so we, we had two phases, and um, uh, the first phase uh, we looked at various policies, um, uh, at uh, technology policies, uh, social media policies, and uh, online, like whatever was publicly available. This particular phase, the second phase, was where um, uh, we interviewed a bunch of um, people across uh, various divisions, so um, the the ed tech specialists, IT specialists, and things like that. Um, we, we also reviewed, uh, we also talked to them about their, their policies in regard to 
how maybe Wi-Fi is covered, devices are covered. Um, in general, um, most of the schools uh, were, were using social media like Facebook and Twitter and things like that, um, mostly to communicate with parents. Um, in classrooms, things like bring your own devices, you know, varied across divisions, but it, it usually people are allowed to bring their devices. Um, in some divisions, it was left up to the teacher what, what the policy would be in class, like whether cell phones could be used and, and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't know if anyone wants to add to that. but <laughs> So... Um I'll just talk for a minute about why the project is important and maybe specifically why it's important to pre-service teachers. Um, I think first for you that I think it's important to understand what technology might be like in rural uh, schools when you get there. And I think you'll be surprised at some of the innovative practices that they're using in rural schools. Um, I think it's important also the points on the screen uh, because it developed an understanding of technology, infrastructure, policy, and practice. Um, that might sound uh, a little bit dry, but uh, I think it's important to sort of know what's happening in school divisions. And technology has sort of developed uh, independently in school divisions. And so it's different from school division to school division. Um, and I think the other thing, and it was sort of serendipitous that we got to explore this because we had the, um, research all sort of projected before the pandemic happened, but then the pandemic started and we were still collecting data. And so we got to talk to school divisions about how they were able to respond when everybody had to go to remote learning. And that was a big thing for tech departments and school divisions. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about how the research was conducted. And it was the study was conducted in two different phases. It was done by um, myself and another research assistant, Natasha Afuano. Um, so it was done in two phases. The first phase of the study was involved a scan of divisional websites and social media presence of select rural and northern Manitoba school divisions to gather public information about digital policies, infrastructure, procedures, and practices. This is done with the goal of building a digital profile of rural and northern Manitoba schools divisions and to provide local context for the second stage. The second phase consisted of interviews with school division technology coordinators to delve deeper into the policies and practices identified in the first phase. Interviews also allowed the research team to explore some of the challenges, solutions, and innovations arising because of the COVID-19 pandemic and related school closures. Now we'll get into some of the findings. So the first part is about the realities. What did we find when we looked at what was happening in school divisions? Uh, so one of the good things was that all school divisions had developed technology policy um, about how they were purchasing, how they were using technology, um, and there's sort of their philosophy of technology and education. Um, they were all in the process of purchasing hardware and software to support learning, and they were all doing something about training teachers and staff and students to utilize the technology. To a different extent, um, they had developed policy around the internet, around online safety, around digital citizenship. Um, and 
they were using um, the curriculum, the technology curriculum differently, I guess, some of them specifically and some alluding to it, but not necessarily following it. Um, we found that there were philosophical differences and you could see that in the policies and it that extrapolated to how the decisions were made, how the purchasing was done. Uh, and so from a teacher's point of view, that matters because when I'm in the classroom, uh, it's important to me to have some control over what uh, technology is being purchased, uh, how I'm going to be able to access it, to use it in my classroom. And so from a teacher's perspective, uh, I was really excited about the school divisions where I could see through their policies that uh, they were giving teachers some decision-making power. Um, the funding really affected the IT staffing. So again, from a teacher's perspective, IT staffing is important because you need you need support in your classroom, and how are we going to get support? Uh, it really varied greatly, uh, the number of people that worked in IT and what their roles were and the amount of support that they were giving to classroom teachers. Uh, access varied, um, access to the internet. So uh, some school divisions had really uh, a they had fiber, so their infrastructure was strong, so that their uh, internet access was strong, and they could have lots of people. Their bandwidth was good. And we had other divisions um, that didn't even have cell service. And so there was huge variation in access to online resources. And the devices varied the same. Uh, the a number of devices, the uh, way that they were allotted to students and teachers, um, really different. Uh, would anybody like to add on to some of the realities? Um, so just more on digital equity. Uh, it became clear during our interviews that not being able to access technology such as laptops or not having access to the internet with no data caps was a roadblock that many divisions, schools, and students in Manitoba face. Um, it's worth noting that Manitoba has one of the lowest broadband speeds in Canada. And now more than ever, we need to ensure that divisions and schools have sufficient digital infrastructure and HR resources that are equitable across the province. COVID both exposed and exasperated inequities, especially as they relate to access to technology and connectivity to the internet. We need to ensure that connectivity devices and staffing resources are invested in and supported. The specific needs will vary division by division, and this needs to be understood and appreciated. There is no singular solution. I really like that, Steph, that idea that equity across the province when it comes to technology doesn't mean sameness. And one, that's something that really came out quite strongly in this report, that um, you can't just take a blanket approach to technology and implement it in every school across the province because each school has its own context, its own connectivity, its own infrastructure, etc. And, um, and yet at the same time, children are receiving this very different, inequitable kind of education. And so when we think about moving forward, how can we think about not uh, equality in terms of sameness, but equity in terms of providing a really good quality education to every student in the province? I think that's really important. So I, I'm really glad that you brought that up. 
Okay, so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the innovations that were happening that came out of our interviews. And um, this was something that was really interesting, in part, I think, because what happened uh, pre-COVID and what was happening during COVID, it was almost a case of necessity being the mother of innovation, right? And so um, pre-COVID, we had kind of these pockets of technology where it was usually motivated by either a teacher or a staff member or technology users who were just passionate about that particular platform or that particular type of um, thing that they wanted to use in their classroom. Um, and we still had a lot and a lot was new to me as well. I didn't know we had things like um, a drone, a fleet of drones where students from the high school could graduate with their drone pilots license, things like that. I didn't know we had that in the province. So I learned a lot from these interviews and um, it was quite exciting to hear about different programs that were happening. You can see a big list on your screen. Um, but what was really interesting to me was the sort of uh, leveling up of the digital skills that happened during COVID. And I think that is also a type of innovation. And um, the way that schools responded to their contextual uh, constraints, I'll maybe say it like that, or the way they overcame the barriers that they had was, um, was really phenomenal. And I think uh, we need to say really strongly that the teachers who taught during COVID and the administrators who were doing the work during COVID did amazing things. And so when, I, when we talk about digital equity, we need to be careful that we're not disparaging the teachers that are working in these places because they are doing incredible things to overcome those barriers. So some of the things that we saw that were happening pre-COVID, things like VR technology, coding, drones, Minecraft, robotics, they were streaming events and connecting. That's in a place where there's infrastructure for that. Um, some of those events were even connecting with international people. They were doing 3D printing and design, graphic design, uh, different programs for certification. They had collaborative projects, collaborative uses of social media, and just exciting things happening with technology in general. And then during COVID, we saw some really amazing innovations that were different from division to division. So we saw things like Wi-Fi hotspots in parking lots where people could come and do their homework in a vehicle in the parking lot, internet sticks being sent home with students, um, lots of divisions had loaning programs for different devices, such as laptops. Uh, we saw more collaborations happening. Uh, we saw different platforms being used. Um, teachers were recording their lessons to provide to students. So we saw a lot of innovation happening because of COVID. Another thing that's not on the list that I really liked was a teacher's or a parent's support line that got set up um, I thought that was really unique. It's not usually uh, within the purview of the school to provide tech support for parents necessarily, but uh, during COVID, they set up a call line for parents. And I was also a parent trying to homeschool during the first part of the pandemic. And I consider myself fairly tech savvy, not amazingly so, but enough to function. And um, I felt like I needed a spreadsheet just to keep track of the passwords and the logins and who's on which device at which time and when's the meeting and it felt quite overwhelming and so um, I thought that was a great idea probably coming from a personal perspective and there was another sort of story about the innovation that's happening and it wasn't just um, school-based innovation there was also individual innovation and Steph I wondered did you want to share that story of that student who didn't have any cell service in her community? So this is, um, yeah, this is a, a northern community where there's no cell service um, and 
they're they're trying to navigate COVID-19. And so there's a young girl who's hiding under a water fountain and she's texting, but there's no cell service. And the principal finds her there and he's like, what are you doing? Like, this doesn't even make sense. There is no service here. I don't understand why you're hiding here with a cell phone. And she explained to him that her dad worked in Thompson, Manitoba. So he would uh, go there like once every couple of weeks. And when he would go there, she would send him with her cell phone so that her, cell, her messages would deliver. And he'd come back to their home and she'd be able to check all of her text messages that she received. Um, so this gave them the idea of preloading their, their laptops with the schoolwork that was needed to send home with the kids so that they'd have stuff to work from and they'd bring it back with their work complete. And that was kind of the system that they put in place because of the innovation of this little girl. So that was a pretty cool story that we heard in one of the interviews. I think the other thing that's interesting about innovation is that often innovation was um, motivated by a teacher's desire to go in a certain direction or a teacher's passion. And I think that's important because I think as teachers, I think it opens that door. If you have, you know, if you're really passionate about tech and you really want to explore something in your classroom, I think that opportunity exists in rural schools. I think a lot of teachers, um, and it was conveyed in some of the interviews that, um, you know, they learn a lot of new things, um, a lot of different technology pieces like OneNote or maybe Flipgrid and things they normally wouldn't have tried but had to because of remote learning and um, that, you know, they would have never done it if they if there wasn't a, a real reason to. And, and now that they were doing it, that they were seeing a lot of potential for the future for how they could use it in their teaching practice, perhaps um, when things are more going back face to face. Okay, so uh, challenges. Um, one thing that uh, that the or the pandemic uh, did was certainly um, exacerbate a lot of uh, problems and sort of highlight um, a lot of issues that probably existed before COVID. Um, so, as far as like IT staff and specialists, most divisions um, had IT staff or educational technology uh, coordinator positions. Um, before COVID, um, sometimes they're getting pared down or cut back. Um, and during the pandemic, um, a lot of coordinators and specialists were actually out in the classrooms teaching because uh, staffing was, was an issue. Um, some divisions didn't didn't have any coordinator positions at all, and um, oftentimes in the interviews, um, a lack of funding was generally you know cited for for having you know shortages on staff around uh, IT and ICT staff. Um, all, all the divisions are using PowerSchool for administration for teachers and students um, attendance and reports. Um, other services like Clever, um, all the divisions uh, generally had access to Microsoft Office 365, um, which is sort of cloud-based software with the usual Microsoft apps. Um, divisions were using Seesaw in some cases, and um, uh, others had uh, Google Classroom as well, um, although they also still had Office 365. Um, most divisions were allowing flexibility. Um, and what software, you know, could be purchased for uses in classrooms and things like that. So this is all sort of pre-COVID. Um, in other cases, principals often had autonomy in, in what they could purchase uh, within their own schools. Um, for hardware uh, before COVID, um, the interviews uh, sort of exposed a lot of uh, divisions were using iPads or Chromebooks. Um, laptops and desktops uh, were, were generally used. Um, Teachers generally got laptops, had interactive uh, whiteboards and smart boards in their classrooms and document cameras and things like that. Um, so the challenges, uh, what was 
really, really highlighted and, and we've already hit on a few times uh, in Manitoba. I know Stephanie said that we have some of the slowest and lowest connectivity across the province. So um, internet connectivity was certainly something that came out in the interviews as a major challenge during COVID. So um, as, as we switched to remote learning and asynchronous learning, um, there was a lot of cases where it simply wasn't possible. So in rural places, sometimes you can leave a town or a city and drive about two or three minutes out of uh, no mobile connection of any kind, which generally means it's hard to get to any sort of Wi-Fi. Um, so as was mentioned before, um, school divisions had creative solutions for these. So if students didn't have access to the internet um, or had data caps or something like that, LTE sticks were provided. Um, but again, in, in places where there's no uh, like cellular connection, an LTE stick uh, won't work. So we, we certainly had students that simply couldn't do remote learning. Um, so schools responded by you know sending out uh, paper packages or putting Wi-Fi hotspots outside of the school. Um, so they would maybe send a laptop home that was preloaded with um, work, and then the student could work on that at home. But sometimes to submit, they would have to drive to the school, connect outside, sitting in their car, and then they could upload documents or receive more documents. Um, these are some of the creative solutions to get around those roadblocks. Um, I know there was one participant who said their division is so geographically spread out that Sometimes that wasn't even possible because maybe that would necessitate a two hour drive or one and a half hour drive just to get to the school. Um, so those were all challenges that were experienced. I like that there was a direct connection between what the challenges were and what the innovations were. Yeah. Um, I was really sort of thrilled and proud of um, tech people and teachers for sort of rising to the challenges of the pandemic and figuring out um, how they were going to get around those things and really figuring out for families too. And I think uh, we heard lots of stories that sort of begs the question about whose responsibility is it, right? Like if technology is really important for families to be able to access technology, then whose responsibility is it to make sure that families have access? And in some cases, the school division really took that on. And it was, I was, I don't know, my heart was warmed by it, I think, because I, it was important work. Yeah, and I think it was Wayne Kelly, uh, one of the other researchers involved, you know, said something to the effect of like, you know, what's the point of having, you know, a laptop or an iPad if, if you can't get it on the internet? Um, it, you know, you might as well use it as a paperweight. And that, that certainly was the case for, for some students in some divisions. Um, as far as access to devices, uh, some divisions already had one-to-one. Uh, devices before the pandemic and then during the pandemic there was a scramble um, in a lot of divisions to loan out um, technology so in many cases divisions weren't usually sending laptops and, and technology home so they were scrambling to you know figure out a way to loan devices um, there was a scramble on finding them I know in in my division um, there you know we had to order more devices and th there'd be a backlog of three or four months so you know, some places got online really fast, um, depending on the resources and other uh, divisions took until December to really figure out like how to loan out devices or even just to have things to loan out. But those things all eventually did get figured out, which was which was nice to see. Um, something that was conveyed during all the interviews was how hard staff worked in general just to make things work. So there was, you know, staff 
driving packages, you know, <laughs> you know, an hour away from the building to drop off in communities that were, say, shut down or no one could enter. So they would drop it off, say, sort of as far as they could go. And then someone within the community would come get it and distribute it out to students. I know that was one story that was shared. Um, as far as access to training and, and technical help, I know the, the, the teacher or the parent helpline was mentioned as, as a solution. Um, teachers found that, you know, although they had, say, Microsoft Office 365 before the pandemic, a lot of teachers didn't necessarily need to use it. Um, I know Microsoft Teams was used a lot for, for remote learning and teachers kind of found themselves like, yeah, we had this two years ago, but we never really needed it. So there was a scramble for, you know, getting training out to teachers. And a lot of teachers were, were essentially sort of left on their own to figure these things out. Um, there, were, there were lots of stories of, you know, people coming together, um, IT coordinators sort of, you know, hosting sessions online, which obviously were hampered by internet connectivity issues that we already talked about. Um, but, but at the end, uh, most divisions found ways to, you know, assist those students and parents and the teachers in, in getting um, access to some help. Uh, really, everybody really did rise to the occasion and, and figured things out. Uh, do Just I wanting, some... yeah, sorry, go sorry. Ahead. Just wanting to touch on how digital choice is important. Um, it was a common and tempting approach to standardize across the province. However, similarly to the success of creating an atmosphere of trust and responsibility of digital use within schools, divisions have demonstrated that retaining their flexibility regarding devices, software, and digital policy, rather than being mandated, is, has been an effective approach. Yeah, I know one participant in one interview um, where the division is very geographically spread out, has low access to internet, said that, you know, if there weren't people on the ground there that understood the local context there was no way that you could have centrally figured it out, say from Winnipeg. Um, I think the province was talking about doing that with Bill C-64, but it just wouldn't have worked. They wouldn't have been able to respond nearly as fast as they did. Um, I know that particular division, they actually would funnel bandwidth. So they had very limited bandwidth so they could shut down bandwidth to say all their buildings and funnel it all to one school. And they would say, Hey, if we, if we do that, we have enough to bring in like a virtual speaker. So there were a lot of um, creative and, and they were doing this pre COVID. And then during COVID, they were sort of like, thank goodness that we, that we had that system figured out because it took years um, to get to that point. Um, and then just one last thing I'll cover. Cause I know we're getting close to the end of um, time, but um, during the pandemic, there was a blend of, you know, face-to-face -face learning. And then sometimes we go to remote learning for some time. Um, there were solutions, um, sorry, physical distancing became an issue within schools. So technology was used there as well, where one teacher was supervising their class who were now split into, say, two different rooms. So use of um, web cameras and microphones and things like that, document cameras sort of facilitated you know, even though they were face-to-face, -face, they were still highly dependent on internet, Wi-Fi, and technology. Um, so those challenges still still face us today. Um, you know, internet equality is certainly something that across Manitoba is very, it's very widely, um, whether you have internet or whether you don't, depends really where you are geographically. And maybe we ask ourselves the question, like, should this be almost a human right? Like, can you learn if you can't get onto Wi-Fi at home? Or, or So how can this research be used? Uh, generally, uh, I think we really need to, I think it 
raises the flag that we really need to look at digital equity in Manitoba schools. And I think that goes back to infrastructure. We need to make sure that there's connectivity for people. There's connectivity for schools and students and teachers. Um, it seems pretty clear that we need to retain digital choice. Uh, we have some great pockets of innovation because uh, teachers went in their own direction and they developed something that was really special within their school or within their school division. Uh, and I think that during the pandemic, having that digital choice and having those small units, the smaller school divisions um, pivoted really easily and uh, really quickly and started taking care of technology needs. And I think we need to continue to level up digital skills. Uh, I think it's important uh, for all of us who work in education and who work in educational technology to sort of be aware of what the realities of rural Manitoba are um, and what's happening in schools. Anyone else? Um, well, I would just chime in because there's been a lot of uh, doom and gloom. There, there, there is some hope. For, for digital equity, perhaps, in Manitoba. Um, I know one interviewee uh, mentioned uh, uh, Starlink as a, as a possible solution that they were already beginning to try. Um, so st that would allow anybody in a remote location to have access to the internet. The, the only problem becomes is that it's an expensive service. Um, so then the issue becomes, again, for families that can't afford it, you know, who, who's gonna pay so that we can have that for everyone? Yeah, I always, um, I was really intrigued with that story of the school division that uh, had an opportunity to get Chromebooks and then had to turn it down because they didn't have enough internet connectivity to be able to utilize the Chromebooks because with a Chromebook, you have to be able to connect. Yes, and I think they also mentioned that Chromebooks just in general didn't sync very well with the services they had. <laughs> yeah, that was another piece right. for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we have about 10 minutes left. And so uh, maybe just if you have any other thoughts about the research or if people have questions, uh, we'd be happy to take questions. But for the panelists, if you have other thoughts uh, that we haven't talked about, please go ahead. Maybe while people are coming up with some questions, um, one of the things that I thought we should mention was that a lot of the a lot of the personnel in those particular roles, uh, I think that sometimes the success was because of the person in that role. So you had people who were, you know, doing half admin and half ICT, but it worked because they had had a background in both of those things, you know. And so sometimes the way things were working was because of the people in those roles. So I thought I'd just mention that too, that came out. It's a good point. Um, for me as an administrator, like that's sort of my, where I live and breathe. I was interested in just uh, when I looked at the policies and how then I saw the policies translate into practice in school divisions. And we saw some policies that were really top down where the school division really controlled access to resources. So um, they locked down things on the internet that teachers could be using. And we saw other policies that were really open and um, teachers had a lot more opportunity to do things in their classroom. And I, 
it was just interesting to see how the philosophy behind the policy really affected the way that things rolled out in schools. I uh, see the question. Uh, do you have any suggestions for pre-service teachers on this topic? Got upvoted four times. So um, I guess I could start on that. I would say um, if you're a pre-service teacher, one of the best things you can do right now is start learning as much as you can about Office 365, uh, Zoom, um, other apps like Flipgrid, um, anything that facilitates online learning. If you can start learning those things now, uh, they're certainly getting used. We heard many stories of them being used creatively or in classrooms. Um, there, there is talk about, you know, the structure of the school day, like now that we've seen that we can sort of, you know, accommodate students at home. Um, is blended learning now more possible? And if so, like what tools are going to help you do that? And I would say, you know, Microsoft Teams has lots of options there. Same thing with Office 365. Um, all the divisions were using that across Manitoba. So while there were a few divisions that had access to Google Classroom, um, everybody had access to Office 365. And in general, that's what students and staff were using. Um, one other thing I forgot to mention, I'm not sure if it came up, but um, divisions were also using Seesaw. Um, that's an online learning platform for, you know, giving out homework and it's a lot of things you can do with it. Um, it it's generally meant for K to four. Um, I think that's generally how it was used. I'll, I'll let someone else take over in case someone else wants to add. Well, I was just going to add that um, in one of my other research projects, I did work with a school division that almost exclusively used Google platform. Um, and so I think a knowledge of both of those pieces is important. See, Adriano has joined in. Did you have a question, Adriano, or is your question up in the chat? But in the end, I just wanted to know, I mean, you've done a, a pretty far-reaching survey and study and looked at things. If we move to a centralized model, what, what's the best way to go? Like, because we can't have all these disparate parts. That's the trouble I see sometimes. I'll, I'll go into meetings sometime, and yeah, Seesaw is great for some people, but will you will it be supported? So what do you recommend as the pieces that are best, ensure optimal performance? You've seen it from certain divisions. And which ones are the ones that you'll probably favor for support down the road? Because in the end, it's support is what it's all about. Because in the end, they said, I mean, our division, they said, you can use Seesaw, but we're not supporting it. Well, hold on. So what do you guys recommend? What do you think, especially in a centralized model, which we seem to be moving towards? Jackie, do you want to take this? <laughs> um, well, first of all, I have to start by saying um, I will oppose going to a centralized model. Uh, I think one of the things about technology is that it moves so fast and it changes so fast. And I think a centralized model slows us down and creates huge obstacles to innovation. And I think technology is all about innovation. And so in terms of choosing, it's sort of like a right now thing, right? Like I can tell you what right now, and I think Matteo described that, Right now, what we see is the strongest tech tools that are available. But in, I wouldn't say six months, but definitely 18 months, that might look, that reality might look really different. And I would hate to get trapped into a system that can't change and can't be dynamic enough to respond to what's available, because I think that would 
um, put a huge limitation on education in Manitoba. But at the same time, aren't you potentially fostering the inequities then? If some guys will advantage and take, go for it, and other people won't. So it's a double-edged sword. Can a centralized, if we are, and I say we seem to be moving in that direction. That's why I, I bring this up. Can a centralized system become robust? I think this this actually came up a lot in the interviews also. And um, I can see the appeal of it, especially from a sort of administrator's perspective that you have kind of uniformity is easier and it's probably more cost effective, et cetera. Um, what we found is that people who had retained digital choice, so some did like surveys of parents and teachers to see what they preferred. And so some was kind of bottom driven, bottom up, and others were sort of mandated at the board level down. Some were making that decision based on uh, what can our context handle in terms of bandwidth, right? So some places are using Zoom over Teams because it has lower bandwidth, right? So I don't think that you can mandate provincially when you have such disparate locations and disparate um, infrastructures. Mm -hmm. Later on down the road, it might be a different conversation, but still, I think Jackie's point about retaining digital choice for the sake of innovation is a really important piece not to lose in all of this. And so yes. when all of Bill 64 was happening and there was all this kind of debate around um, having a sort of more centralized model, um, that's that's probably why that came up a lot in interviews, that it was kind of on people's minds. And they were sort of wondering, oh, you know, if our division gets amalgamated with another division, our division's context is so different than that division over there. What will we possibly do to combine those and which system would be used, et cetera, because the system that was being used in each one had been developed for that context. And so sometimes what's the best system is the one you know how to use or the one that the teachers know how to use or the one that the administrator has paid for the support for. You know, I think there's a lot of factors that go into that. And I don't I don't think it's a simple issue. I think, like you said, Adriano, it's it's really complex and there's different um, pros and cons. Like you said, a double edged sword. I think that's a pretty accurate way to think about it. And, and to be clear, I, I agree with you, Jackie. Like I totally agree with you. I just see this mm -hmm. coming down the road and I, I just wonder. Um, yeah, yeah. What, I think we have to push back up? against it. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think that COVID was an excellent example because uh, it showed what happened in small school divisions who were able to respond to the needs of their communities. And it centrally, we would have never been able to come up with a central response um, that, because they needed to do different things because they had really different issues. And uh, it really can, the research really confirmed for me that that digital choice and the um, allowing tech to grow in individual places was important. Mateo, do you want to weigh in on that before? Uh, yeah, well, I was going to say they're excellent uh, questions, Adriano. And, you know, who knows what will happen with you know, that whole centralization thing. I don't think it's going to fly, but um, there's also the local context of the teacher, like they're they're not going to use something in their classroom that only half the class can access. It just wouldn't work. Um, so you also have that to consider. Um, but yeah, <laughs> very good points. And it's been talked out pretty yeah. thoroughly. So I don't have a lot to add that hasn't already been said. Um, Joel, do we still have time? There's one more question that I think would be good to address there in the Q&A. Yeah, please. Let's, let's take the last little bit here and just finish that up. Thanks. 
Uh, yeah, okay, so um, I'll, I'll just read it. The question is, to what extent would you recommend integrating uh, technology into the classroom? Um, I, I think you teachers have to keep in mind that um, a lot of technology merely replaces things we can already do. Like you, you can write on an iPad and you can also write on a piece of paper. So that's merely a replacement um, task. Some technology makes new tasks possible. So that's like a transformative technology. So, you know, if you can speak to half your class in person and have the other half at home and maybe do a blended model, that's that's a bit more transformative if you have those tools. And those tools are, are available in Teams and Microsoft Office 365. Um, I'd also say like, learn what you can because if you know how to use zoom um using google there's a google version of that um can't remember it's slipping me what it's called but once you know how to use one it's fairly easy to to switch over to another one you'll at least have a knowledge of the things that are possible and more importantly how you can um, integrate that into your teaching and what sorts of things you can do with it as far as teaching and pedagogically does anyone else want to weigh in on that I think uh, in the interest of time, and we knew this was going to happen, we could probably, like we said, we could talk about this for another five hours, but uh, uh, is there any last uh, comments before we wrap up? We're all good? Okay. Um, thank you so much uh, to all of you and uh, to the other uh, authors of the report who didn't join us today. Um, uh, it was a great discussion. Uh, these reports form a great foundation of knowledge that opens the door for more in-depth research into education and learning in Manitoba. This is by far not the end of this. Um, we will, we have provided and we will provide again in the post-session um, email links to this, this document. Uh, there's also um, Tech Manitoba worked with uh, ICTC on a, a previous report that was was kind of a, a partner to this one. Uh, it looked more at uh, the infrastructure um, both in other provinces and other countries around the world. Uh, the digital divide is not uh, unique to Manitoba in, in any way, so looking for other uh, ideas and alternatives. Um, Obviously, we can see how much uh, that connectivity uh, is an important and, and impacts everything that we're trying to do. So, uh, thank you. There, and and this is this won't be the end. There needs to be more research, and there needs to be uh, more uh, effort put into this as we go forward. So, uh, thank you to BU Cares and all the authors. Uh, it's, it's been great. <laughs>